0: Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and you are listening to my full analysis of Omni Part 1 by the band Project 86. And I don't normally cover brand new releases, but I got to spend a lot of time with this album this week, and it turned out that there was actually a lot that I wanted to cover and talk about, so it was kind of impossible for me to pass up that opportunity. And the format of this episode is a little bit different than what you may be used to. In an effort to keep my brain organized while talking about this stuff, I decided to divide this analysis into four parts. Opening, a track by track story analysis, followed by a track by track music analysis, and then my overall impressions. And I also wanna apologize up front for how little music I'll be playing in this episode because Like I said, I don't normally cover new releases, this time I want to limit my music choices to just the three singles that have been released as of the time of this recording. And intros are boring and stupid, so without further ado, let's get into my analysis of Omni Part 1 by Project 86. I love my new phone it's a Google Pixel 7 I mean I didn't have the other six this is my first Google Pixel and I honestly don't know what I would do without it just this past weekend I used that phone to upload a podcast episode make tons and tons of Instagram stories make tons and tons of post shares about the episode all in the span of about 10 minutes I also talked to 10 different people who all live in different parts of the world than me. And I even called my mom to wish her a happy birthday. And we all feel like that, don't we? I guess unless you have like an ancient phone that's going bad. Just to wake up in the morning, I have an alarm set on my phone. If I have to interview somebody for the podcast, my calendar reminds me of every appointment. So I guess I don't just love my phone. I actually rely on it to make me a better version of myself. And I've always had an interesting relationship with technology. Growing up in a very religiously controlled environment, I didn't actually have much technology at a young age. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have any video game systems. We essentially had a radio with a cassette deck, which was the main electronic device I spent my time with. And when I was a little bit older, I discovered that we did actually have a family computer. It was just in my parents' room. It was this old IBM PS1 DOS computer that was not hooked up to the internet. And one day, after my curiosity got the best of me, I asked my parents if I could learn how to use it. They were hesitant at first, but they finally agreed to let me play around on it for like an hour per day. And then eventually, once they were convinced that I wasn't going to break it, they kind of started relaxing on that to the point where I could pretty much have free reign over it anytime I wanted. And it did not take me very long to figure out that there were games on the computer. And not only that, but there were blank disks too, like those little three and a quarter inch floppy disks. And I could take those blank disks to school and have my friends load them up with more games. It was awesome. And the funny part is is that my parents were not okay with me having a Nintendo But they were totally fine with me playing games on the computer as long as there was, like, some supervision. But once my friends started making me copies of shareware games, I became really aware that I could operate the computer better than my parents could. They never used it. It always just kind of sat there not getting used. And eventually it turned into me showing them how to do things on the computer. And so in knowing this, I started figuring out how to sneak copies of games that they didn't want me to play onto the computer, violent games like Wolfenstein 3D or Street Fighter 2. And I could just sneak these games right under their noses because I could just label a directory like Dan's Homework or something like that. And I think what was appealing about this was the fact that I felt really powerful knowing that I had achieved a mastery over something that others around me didn't have a mastery of. I mean, I read the entire MS-DOS 4.0 manual cover to cover. And learned all of the commands. And in those commands, I was able to create a window into a fantasy world. That was far superior to my own reality at the time. And if you want to know what my reality was at the time, go listen to my corn episode I posted a few weeks ago. But when you're young and feeling like you're pulling the wool over your parents' eyes and sticking it to an authority figure, it's intoxicating. Needless to say, I spent multiple years, quote-unquote, escaping reality, while freely demonstrating my ability to quickly learn computer hardware and software. And I enjoyed having that increased knowledge and mastery over computers throughout grade school and high school, and even into my college years, And let me tell you, there was nothing quite like the old Internet. I'm not talking about the Internet now where there's like eight different companies and you sort of do everything you do through networks that are owned by just those eight different companies. I'm talking like the old Wild West Internet, like back whenever they used to call it the information superhighway. I was actually taught about the Internet in grade school. And we used to even be able to access the internet in the school library using Netscape Navigator, if you remember what that is. But eventually, my parents had kind of loosened up a little bit on the religion thing, and we ended up getting home internet. And that's when I discovered how much of a wide open space of possibilities it was. There were forums online full of real people talking about some of the coolest things ever and some of the worst things ever. It wasn't policed, like, at all. It was exciting and really scary all at once. Because there weren't a lot of central hubs back then, you kind of just explored websites willy-nilly. And you made pretty liberal use of the bookmark function if you found something cool. And through this version of the internet, I learned things like how to pirate music, how to build my own website, how to play email pranks on my friends, how to shitpost, how to troll people. And I only did that because it was all anonymous. It was like a playground. It was consequence-free. And I think what started off as a simple curiosity became a huge part of my identity. I was so proud of my knowledge of technology that I almost became straight-up arrogant about it. Okay, I, I became arrogant about it. I think sometimes that's a potential side effect to mastery over anything. Arrogance. I think that's why when people get deeply involved in something they can quickly turn like really elitist and gatekeepy of it because it's become such a personal point of pride with them that the thought of somebody else also having it diminishes that achievement for them. And that's at least how I felt about technology and even music to a lesser degree. However, as I grew with technology, so did the world around me. Eventually the world started growing more and more dependent on technology in the span of 15 years. And I don't really remember exactly when that transition was, because at one point I was the master of the technology that I used. And yet here I am now in the future, as I would have called it back then, being more dependent on my technology than being the master of it. I remember seeing a smartphone for the first time and being completely blown away by what it could just do. And at first, nobody really knew what to do with them besides download stupid apps that made it look like we were drinking beers out of our phones. Or how to change a text notification sound effect to something like a shotgun blast. And eventually the business applications took hold. And then everybody started using smartphones. And it all seemed to happen so fast. In 2010, I actually had a physical alarm clock. By 2020, My phone had been my alarm clock since 2013. My calendar stopped being a book on my desk. Like, I used to work in a calendar kiosk in the mall. I guess they still have those, but like, I can't imagine why you would buy a paper calendar now whenever you could just use your phone for it. My book of contacts, that's also obsolete. In a lot of ways, my laptop even started being obsolete. And now you might be thinking, Dan, what does this have to do with the new Project 86 album? Well, actually, it has a lot to do with it. And this is why. If you've listened to my other podcast episodes, or even my old podcast, you probably know that I've been a Project 86 fan for over 20 years now. Like a lot of people, I started with Drawing Black Lines, and I've kind of followed the band ever since then. And if you don't know who the band is, I'm going to let my friend ChatGPT tell you for me.
1: Project 86 is an American rock band from Orange County, California, that formed in 1996. The band's music is a blend of alternative rock, post-hardcore, and new metal, with lyrics that often explore themes of faith, social justice, and personal struggle. Over the years, the band has gone through several line-up changes, but Andrew Schwab has remained the constant member and primary songwriter. Project 86 has released 11 studio albums, two live albums, and a handful of EPs and singles. Their debut album, Project 86, was released in 1998 and was well received by critics and fans alike. The band has since released several other successful albums, including Truthless Heroes. Songs to burn your bridges by, and Wait for the Siren. Project 86's music often features aggressive guitar riffs, driving rhythms, and intense vocals, with occasional forays into electronic and experimental sounds. Lyrically, the band's songs explore a wide range of topics from personal struggles with addiction and mental health to critiques of societal norms and religious institutions. Overall, Project 86 has established themselves as a respected and influential band in the alternative rock and post-hardcore scenes, and they continue to tour and release new music to this day.
0: I'd say that's a pretty apt description. Thanks, ChatGPT. The notable thing about Project 86's new album, Omni Part 1, is that apparently it's the band's last album. As the only remaining member of the band, their vocalist, Andrew Schwab, enlisted the help of an all-star cast of musicians to compose an epic science fiction-themed concept album. And as you may have guessed from the intro to this episode, the concept is a cautionary tale of technology gone wild. And I don't normally review concept albums. Like, I don't really like concept albums that much. And it's because typically they're kind of bloated with concept. And they don't always really deliver in the music department. Kind of like how this episode's going to be. And while I do believe that Omni Part 1 is a little bit guilty of this... I find that the actual songs are the real meat of the album. And although I do think that you could get away with making a playlist of the album and hack out the expository tracks, I think that for the sake of the story, if you find it interesting, it's good to at least listen to those exposition tracks once or twice. I actually felt the same way about the expository tracks on Project 86's 2003 album, Truthless Heroes. Although at this point, those tracks are pretty nostalgic for me to hear, so maybe if I give this album another 20 years, I might feel the same way about them. But I can tell you, as a fan of cheesy science fiction media, this album checks so many boxes on my nerd checklist. A near-distant future setting, check. Evil corporations, check. Potential demons or aliens influencing the decision-making of said evil corporation, Check. Humans merging with evil robots. Check. An unlimited energy source that isn't what it seems. Check. Humans making real asses of themselves once a governing principle is removed. Check. So let's dig into this story. The story takes place in a near distant future where this giant corporation called Omni has engineered another breakthrough technology, which I assume is just another one in a series of huge technological breakthroughs that they've made. And this particular new product can actually prevent users from dying. It just removes death totally from the equation. The ultimate quality of life improvement. So in celebration of this new big release, the Omni Corporation has built this huge Tower of Babel, I mean, huge corporate headquarter tower that floats above the ground and is like every surface in it is covered in LED screens. It's actually It's actually kind of rad. And so this is what the first song Apotheosis seems to be about. It describes the tower in exquisite detail and talks about how proud Omni seems to be of it. And in the song Virtual Signal, the narrator of the story is describing the city in which the tower is located. And the city is creepy, and there's definitely some stuff going on in the city. And he says in the lyrics, this city is alive with the feed from our spines into the generator. So we're full cyberpunk at this point. And later he describes remnants are bagged and tagged in crimson rivers that bleed to gulags which seems to indicate that the whole city is powered by you guessed it people
1: silent breed is people we got to stop them somehow
0: and i'm assuming by remnants he's talking about people that maybe are not checked in with omni's technology like they're they're outside of the grid So I guess they're like rounded up and then just kind of fed into the generator. Later on in the song, he says, we'll ransom all the analog, again, analog people, non-digital. So I'm thinking, you know, they're the people that are off the grid and we'll exchange for synthetic fever dreams. So the people thankful for the technological advances are willing to sacrifice the people that don't take advantage of them. So anybody that isn't infused with Omni cybernetic technology is rounded up in the streets and being used as fuel to power the whole operation. And it kind of reminds me of that scene in Wally where where like all the people are hooked to electric hover scooters and don't really interact with each other. The lyrics are super descriptive and do a really good job of complementing the highly electronic but creepy vibe. I also realized in doing this episode that it may not age well as apparently this album is supposed to have a complete second half as well as a novel and a film that I have not seen or read yet. So please don't at me if I get some stuff wrong. I'm just going off of the music, the lyrics, and this like short little press release. In the song Zero is Greater Than One, he says, "...because I sold you a voice to build the platform to harvest the data that's locked inside your skin." And later, mining your interests, mining your tastes. It might sound a little bit on the nose because this is clearly describing modern social media. The same social media that you might have seen this episode posted on. You shared it, right? Right. This song takes a horrifying turn to the end where it's revealed that you as an individual can actually be rewritten by the technology. And that you, quote-unquote, sealed your fate the moment you hit submit. And that everything that makes you, you, no longer exists. And then we move on to the song User Agreement, which is the first interlude track. And it's this, like, creepy user agreement asking you to agree to hand over your essence, spirit, and eternal breath to Omni. And that all becomes their intellectual property. And this type of interlude track reminds me a lot of the ones that are on Truthless Heroes. You know, try not to mention that album name like too many more times because even though the album reminds me of Truthless Heroes, I'm not trying to make a direct comparison between that album and this album. When the Belfry Speaks gives a voice to the mysterious forces that are supposedly behind what is going on at Omni. And I'm not entirely clear if these are the extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional entities described in the story overview, or if this is strictly, like, the spirit of the AI talking, the ghost in the machine. But whatever it is, it's definitely not up to anything good as it kind of gives away its entire evil plan like a mustache-twirling Bond villain.
1: We are the things that were and shall be again.
0: And in Metatropolis, the people gather together for the main event – The Singularity, where the new technology is uploaded to every user, I guess, that's in the tower, maybe through some kind of neural implant. And it finally happens. Humanity has defeated death. And without this obstacle in place, humanity loses all of the consequences that are associated with death also. And this, for me, is the most interesting part of the story in wondering how people really would react if we didn't have death as a consequence. And while all of this is going on, Omni sits in their giant heaven-piercing tower, feeling super cocky and overconfident in what they've just accomplished. But predictably, the positive effect of the singularity wears off. And now, free of the consequence of death, the worst parts of humanity kind of start to come to the surface again. And people start going on this hellish rampage throughout the tower. So, I mean, I guess parts of the original OS couldn't be entirely rewritten after all. Trust the Science is another interlude track of ambient noise and electronic music with a voice talking about taking advantage of a crisis to get people to submit to any crazy idea that you may have just in the name of security. And then they sort of tie this into the idea of being able to hack human beings on a mass scale. And that leads us into Tartarus Kiss, and it's kind of a slower and creepier song, and if you're listening to the lyrics, it describes a non-human entity, probably an AI of some kind, taking advantage of the narrator's insecurities and promising him everything if he's only willing to commit to merging with it. And if you thought that song was creepy, Skin Job is full-on terrifying, as it picks up right where Tartarus Kiss left off. And the AI pushes and pushes on the narrator to just let it in and promising him everything under the sun just to get him to say the words to invite me in for my zero to become a one. And eventually the narrator does give in. And in that instant, the AI enters him and his entire personality and history is completely overwritten. Just gone. And as a guy who runs a podcast that's about preserving memories, this is understandably my worst nightmare. So this one hit kind of close to home. And this song seems to me to be kind of an expansion on some lyrics from the song Soma from Truthless Heroes. Where Andrew says, if you can amputate my heart and I will learn to smile and then you can replace me with yourself and I'll become the model citizen. And I will tell them all that I had this breakthrough surgery where they give you a pill, remove your heart, and replace it with a battery. And that leads us into Icarus versus Prometheus. And it's another interlude song, but this one I would say is vitally important to the story. And it's a spoken word track. The narrator seems to be mocking God himself as he gloats about Omni's great accomplishment and how they have taken back the domain of heaven. And this is where the story really takes a turn for the spiritual, because towards the end of the song, these words are said, Our exchange, our collaboration, our acquisition is one for the ages. They receive liberation from the prison in which you bound them. We receive access to time itself. In a virtual world of our own invention, your fallen sons and your creation united in one purpose to circumvent the ultimate terror mortality and this is kind of the big reveal right this this tears off the blindfold of the story because the main motivation behind omni and the singularity is apparently demons like biblical demons like the devil was literally in the details and i only think this because you know whenever he refers to they I'm assuming he means humans, and the prison is obviously death or mortality, and the mention of your fallen sons would be the demons. It's kind of an interesting turn on all the events that have taken place so far, and the final two songs, Spoonwalker and Tears in Rain, detail God's response to all of this, and it goes about as well as you'd expect. The tower is destroyed torn down, burned from the lyrics, disintegration of every frame, every wire, every cog, every last cell of this undead machine. The tower is doomed. Game over. I found this concept really interesting because so much of it rings true. I know it's a futuristic cautionary tale, but if you can't see the real world inspiration for this concept, then you haven't been paying attention. Social media platforms have been harvesting our personal data, interests, preferences, and so on for a long time now. And in exchange, they give us a platform to make our voices heard. And that platform that we're granted is a perfect bait for the chance of fame, the chance of popularity. If I can do the most, if I can be the most original, if I can stand out the most, And if I can get the most digital validation, then I can be the hero. I can be the light. I can, okay, I think you get it. And I gotta say, this is one of those scenarios where as a podcaster, dude, I'm in this picture and I don't like it. Like what I found fascinating was how all of this is sort of based in arrogance and pride. Even if we want a larger platform so that we can communicate our great intentions to the world, The price of gaining that platform might just be too high. There's always certain compromises that we have to make that we may not have made for any other reasons. I know I have, I've done things in order to do better on podcasts and stuff that I'm not proud of. Even if you're uncomfortable with the idea of it being demonic influences like the story implies, it stands to reason that if man is a reflection of perfection, then man is also the perfection that that technology is reflecting. But since we know that man isn't perfect, why would we expect technology to not also reflect our worst qualities? And before you ask, no, this isn't some coded way of me telling you that I want to stop doing podcasting, but I can tell you it might have had something to do with why I quit my old podcast. I don't have a definitive solution or statement for this or, you know, any kind of words of wisdom, but I did think that it was a very interesting concept to wrestle with for sure. And I think that's why I like the story because it inspired me to look at some of this stuff from a different angle. So that's it. What'd you guys think? What? Music? Oh yeah, there's music on this album. first thing that you may notice about this album based on the singles that have been released so far is that this one is heavy i mean it's probably the heaviest thing the band's put out in 20 years and the question that nobody asked that i'm going to answer anyway is is it as heavy as drawing black lines and straight up no it's not as heavy as drawing black lines it's heavier Does that make it better than Drawing Black Lines? Another good question that nobody asked. But also, no. And I may be biased because, you know, one record I've been listening to for 20 years and the other one I've been listening to for about a week. But Drawing Black Lines is more of an energetic, hardcore-based album, whereas Omni's approach is more based in modern metalcore, full of harsh, guttural screams, genty riffs, and loads of electronic effects thrown in. It's very modern, so comparing those albums to each other is really an apples and oranges situation and i'm sorry that i keep comparing this album to truthless heroes but think of it as truthless heroes if that album was a roided out rage monster and what's interesting about this album versus a lot of the other project 86 album is that this one keeps it pretty heavy from start to finish with a few like ambient interlude tracks to break it up but with that in mind if you're a fan of the catchier and more melodic project 86 that's very much in here as well there's just not as much of it as maybe you're used to but the songwriting is pretty clever and full of a lot of twists and turns they go in a lot of different directions from full-blown heavy bone crunching chugs and metalcore screams into slower more melodic sections with clean or spoken word vocals Almost in an instant. And vocally, I think this is Andrew's most eclectic performance. These songs are full of spoken word, more recognizable Project 86 style yelling, quiet talking, whispering, choral chanting, as well as the very welcome addition of metalcore style screaming and growling. And judging by the YouTube comments on the song Metatropolis... People seem to be shocked by the more brutal approach coming from Andrew on this album. And just to inject my own take into it for a second, I'm not entirely sure why people are surprised. I mean, Drawing Black Lines had pretty extreme vocals for the time. And as such a longtime fan of the band, I was always kind of hoping and wanting the band to go in this direction musically and vocally. So for me, this is a dream come true. But I keep seeing people posting that they quote-unquote can't believe that Andrew can do these kind of vocals and that they didn't know he had it in him. And I'm just like, really? So, let me get this straight. It's not that his vocals up to this point have been his own creative choice. He just didn't do harsher vocals because he couldn't do them. Like, I'm not trying to poke fun at people, but that whole concept is just, like, ridiculous to me. I think another nice coat of paint on this album, though, is the heavy use of electronics on all of the songs. It lends itself really well to the futuristic and almost cyberpunk concept. And this is used to really great effect on the interlude tracks, which uses a lot of computerized distortion on the vocals to give everything this high-tech but still dark and mysterious vibe. And... It's actually easy to picture what's going on just from how it sounds, which is not an easy task to accomplish. Like, when I record in a basement, no matter how many sound effects I use, I still sound like I'm in a basement. The overall flow of the album is also really logical, and it sounds like a lot of thought was put into the sequencing of the songs. So let's kind of get into that a little bit. Apotheosis starts slow and calm and deliberately builds to a heavy and steady beatdown which then goes into Virtual Signal, which is what this album like really sounds like, and it's the best glimpse of what this album has to offer. Just brutality and atrocity. But despite the brutality, the hook in this song will stick with you for a long time after you're done listening to it. Zero is Greater Than One keeps the momentum flowing in its first half before abruptly shifting in tone to a more melodic, but still creepy section that builds up to a really satisfying conclusion that ends with the words. And now you don't exist, which is delivered with like this really pronounced disdain in his voice. Like, like he just threw a dead body in a dumpster or something. And the video for this song is probably my favorite of the three that they've released so far. I was watching it earlier this week on my living room TV and my five-year-old son walked in and pointed at Andrew, who happened to be dressed up like a mad scientist, and goes, Look, Dad, it's Dr. Eggman. You know, f- from Sonic. It's because of, of the goggles. I will get the Chaos Emeralds. Use the machine to dominate the world and build a legacy of my own. Next up is User Agreement, which is the first interlude track on the album and features like really menacing drums, heavy electronics, And the creepy computer lady that I was talking about earlier that wants you to hit agree so that she can be like, hippity-hoppity, your soul is my property. And then this leads us into the mid-paced but devastatingly heavy when the belfry speaks. The song starts with creepy chanting but transitions into endless walls of guitar chugs and horrifying screams. And this might actually be my favorite song on the entire record and it's hands down the heaviest that project 86 has ever been metatropolis is up next which is the first single released off the album and was the world's first introduction to pissed off 86 this is just a gentle feast and you might mistake it for a meshuggah song if you're not paying close attention and my first impression of this song was that it sounded really cool but i felt like it was a little too long and repetitive But now that I know that the song is about a giant singularity event where all the users are like drawn together and the entire purpose is uniformity, it it makes a whole lot more sense. And so like it it, it actually works. This song and when the Belfry Speaks put together is just like a solid 10 minutes of Chug, and I love it. After this, we get another interlude track called Follow the Science, which I talked about already in the first segment. Tartarus Kiss slows things down with this really chill atmosphere and these like creepy seduction-styled lyrics and vocals that kind of remind me of the song Chimes from Drawing a Black Line but without the heavy parts. And this song basically functions as an introduction for the song Skin Job, which also starts off slow but builds to a loud screaming horror movie style ending. And it's just chugs and screams at the end. This song features Cory Brandon of Norma Jean as he and Andrew trade off Screams, which is a really, really cool contrast. I know Cory helped out a lot in the making of this album, and so it was really cool hearing him actually sing on the album as well. And this song is definitely a close second for my favorite song on the record. After Skin Job is the final interlude song, Icarus vs. Prometheus, and this is the last break that you're really going to get on this album because Spoonwalker is just pure brutality with only a brief break in the middle. And I was actually surprised that there was even another song after this one because the brutality at the end is so world-ending that I just figured there wouldn't be anything after that. But Tears and Rain closes the album in a truly epic fashion with building riffs, frequent melodic uplifts, and you combine that with Andrew's patented spoken word delivery and the story and the album conclude in the same grandiose fashion that it began with. And all of that is to say that the sequencing on this album was very well balanced while delivering hefty amounts of aggression, but mixing it in with that creepy moody melody that Project 86 has always done. For this conclusion, I don't want to keep comparing Project 86's new album to their old albums, so I decided to limit my comparisons to other recent concept albums released by bands that occupy the same creative space as Project 86. So I took a break from listening to Omni for a couple days, and I listened to 2022's Children of the Great Extinction by Becoming the Archetype. And then I also listened to Exile by Demon Hunter from 2023. And what I was looking for was kind of an indication or calibration of how well Omni succeeds at delivering its concept in a fresh way that doesn't overburden its musical approach. So with Becoming the Archetype, I found an album that by and large conveys its message only lyrically while focusing mainly on delivering the quote-unquote musical goods that Becoming the Archetype is known for. Just this nice blend of brutal but still progressive metal. And then you've also got this fun story, which is focused around C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. And that album is like a really good listen, for sure. And then on the other hand, you have Exile by Demon Hunter. And this album focuses on a completely original concept of an exile on the run, from an unaccepting society of conformity. And I found this concept really interesting because the sentiments behind its creation very closely mirror the same sentiments behind the creation of Omni, but the approach is completely different. In Demon Hunter's case, they hone in so closely to their concept that the musical tone and vibe that they're known for setting is completely revamped so that it can accommodate for the flow of the storyline. And that album's also a good listen, but it's different than what you may be expecting from Demon Hunter because of the concept. I think that in using these two albums as my calibration point, I found that Omni succeeds at both tasks equally well. The lyrical composition perfectly complements the music with the help of the electronics and the sound effects. And it's well done to the point of making the experience almost visual. And if you were to watch the three music videos that have been released from the album so far, I think the idea is even further enhanced. And with all of that in place, though, Project 86 is still able to somehow deliver real fan service in the form of heavy and brutal songs that the fans have been yearning to hear from this band for decades at this point. And it fully delivers on its own creative integrity As well as meets the demands of fans from every era and incarnation of the band. And I think this is truly the grand achievement of Omni Part 1. Although it's just the first part of a double album, I think it succeeds in delivering a strong, self contained package. And I'll be very interested to see what comes in Part 2. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. Like I said in the intro, my name is Daniel Terry. And if you guys like this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed to it on your favorite podcasting app. If you guys really like the podcast, maybe leave it a review on Apple Podcasts or any other app that allows you to leave a review for the podcast. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. I'm also on all of the various social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Omnicorp. I'll have links to all of those places down in the show notes, of course. But if you guys want to get a hold of me very quickly, the best way to get a hold of me is on my Discord server. There will also be a link in the show notes to the Discord server. Me and my friends like to get on there, share memes, talk about the show, talk about music, talk about TV, talk about all the things that we enjoy doing. If you would like to join us in doing that, please do so. But if not, that's okay, too. I will see you guys here next week.
1: the